damn. Welcome to Soundcheck Flicks back again for another episode. Graham, what number is this? 30-ish. 30-ish. I like it. That works for me, man. Somewhere around there. That's amazing. What a, what a, what a legacy we've created already to represent the Casbah and so many great local musicians. It's getting to be quite fun. I, we're reaching the point now where they're coming up to us at shows and saying, I want to be on, I want to do this movie. And that's, I always envisioned that happening. And so that's, this is the, this is the happy place for me. You said you were at the No Knife, a miniature show mm -hmm. and talking to the guys in No Knife. Maybe yeah, we'll we're going to get them in for something. Get? Brian, Mitch? Uh, I'm not going to say which one, but I think okay. we're going to go shark hunting. Is that a tease? Uh, it's a bit of a tease. Yeah. All right. What's your hat? Is that from Sleepaway Camp? Uh, this is a Sleepaway Camp oh, hat. Yeah, nice. Camp Arawak. Good yeah. Lord. You know, well, people have uh, watched that film after our podcast that maybe never have seen it. Did that you? was the whole point. <laughs> the big reveal. Yeah. Uh, someday we'll have a big reveal on this show. It is Soundcheck Flicks with Ariel Levine. So stoked to talk about Batman 1989. Tim Burton directed, starring Michael Keaton. This is a film you've seen how many times, Ariel Levine? Oh, I don't know. I, You know, I actually tried to, like, do, like, a legitimate count the other day because, first of all, I chose this movie... I invited myself on your podcast. I didn't ask. I just said, <laughs> I'm coming on when. And I, I, I had another movie in mind, but then I was like, wait a minute. It's the 35th anniversary of Batman, the, you know, the, the first motion picture. And uh, I tried to count the other day, like, well, if I watch it this many times as a kid on average per year and this many times as an adult, and I remember skipping a few years here and there, like, man, like realistically, 70-ish maybe? I don't know, you know, more than any other film, I think. Definitely. And, and you've recently re-reviewed a bunch of the other Batman films as well. Yes, but mostly the first, you know, the, the Keaton Burton uh, duo. Um, and I started to take copious notes in the first movie, but I, I like paused every 10 seconds. So I was like, ah, I, don't, I don't need these notes. That's ridiculous. I'm, I'm going to be here for hours. But yeah, I watched <laughs> a, a number of different Batman throughout the years preparing for this. That's, yeah. Was this your introduction to Batman, or were you already reading the comics as a child when this one came along? Uh, so I was six when this movie came out in the summer of '89. Mm -hmm. I this was I I was on the earth long enough to know what Batman was and to know it was a comic book character, but this is what really, you know, introduced me to being a lifelong fanatic. Yeah. Um, uh, Did I, you see the theater that summer? No, okay. I did not see it in the theater, but uh, I, I remember, so that, that summer I was at, you know, six years old, I'm at like a day camp, I go to a day camp, and I remember also now looking back, you can look at the history that that, that summer was Batmania, where like kids had the bat symbol like shaved into the back of their head, <laughs> and my camp counselor was like, oh, did you guys see Batman yet? You gotta see Batman, and like you were only cool if you went to the theater to see it, and from then I just became obsessed, I was like... I got I to gotta know what this is all about. I got to see what this is about. Didn't get to see it in theaters, but uh, like the day it came out on VHS, my, my parents were cool enough to like buy it that day. And we took it home that night, had pizza and watched it. They fell asleep. I, you know, just stayed up watching it. And the rest is history. I did see Batman Returns on, in the theater on the day it opened, though. Nice. Yeah. What have you been doing musically lately? You oh. just celebrated David Bowie's birthday, right? That's an annual tradition you've been doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good question. Um, you know, I've spent the last year working on a lot of other people's music. Okay. And um, I'm continuing to do that this year, and I have no complaints. Um, I'm doing a lot more studio production. I've been composing some things for some short films, podcasts, uh, helping produce some tracks. I mixed uh, Poison Heart's upcoming record, mixed and mastered oh, nice. their record. I'm on that record. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. <laughs> I worked. I worked hard on that. I believe it. Yeah, yeah. Great I, band. I, I had to. You know, I had to make sure. I had to do you justice. Unfortunately, <laughs> it, it eats up a lot of time for like me to be creative for my own pursuits. Uh, I keep threatening to put a new band together and you know write new songs, but. Other people's stuff has been taken priority, and uh, it is what it is. You know. Have you ever done a, a sound? You're saying doing soundtracks, right? For like short films, did you say? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this film, big inspiration. I understand you've listened to the the Danny Elfman soundtrack as well as the Prince uh, soundtrack quite yeah. a few times in your life. Yes, I have. Yes, uh, uh, Danny. Dan, I mean, this was also my introduction to Danny Elfman. Pre, like I didn't 
know what Oingo Boingo was sure. as a kid. <clears throat> Excuse me, as a kid. Um, you grew up in the East Coast, so Oingo Boingo was really kind of a regional phenomenon in so many ways. Um, but man, were they massive here in Southern California, and just their Halloween shows were of legend and just crazy how that used to happen back then. Still, something kind of regional, but then yeah, he gets on the on a, a national platform like that, and look yeah. look where he is today. <laughs> Good for him. I mean, I, I like that. There's there's kind of like a small handful of. 80s new wave rockers who have made giant careers out of scoring film and television. Mark Mothersbaugh. When did you see um, the previous Tim Burton films? Were you a Tim Burton fan? So, like, obviously, then you would have hopefully seen uh, Beetlejuice and and Pee Wee's Big Adventure. Yeah, but yeah, I remember being a kid seeing both of those movies before seeing Batman. I, I. I think at six years old, I didn't quite put together like, oh, yeah. I have right. a favorite filmmaker. <laughs> I've got to see this no, no, new Burton yeah, yeah, movie. Yeah. Well, I don't know if you would have seen it after, because those films are before Batman. Yeah, yeah. yeah. but you know, like as a little kid, and growing like growing into teenage years, Burton definitely being probably my favorite filmmaker to a point, and then he kind of lost me, you know, right around Planet of the Apes. Sure. <laughs> Yeah. But what a run. Oh, what a run. What a run yeah. from Pee Wee to Mars Attacks. Oh, Mars There's like Attacks. an 11-year run there where I think it's among the greatest director runs ever. Yeah. Like, I, we always talk about how much, you know, we love John Carpenter and people like that, and their incredible runs they had. Tim brings the right amount of weird that I like. Like, just a different kind of weird. Almost more leaning into, like, the Casbah vibe. I don't know. It's got, it's got a little bit of well, the Well, he's like Ed Wood with talent. I yeah. think that's why he wanted to yeah. do Ed Wood biography so much was because he admired him as a kid yeah. and was just like, no, I, I can actually do shit on a budget and make it look really cool and not be trash. <laughs> but his run, I mean, from Pee Wee, I mean, good Lord, it's, look at this. Pee, Pee Wee, Beetlejuice, Batman, Edward Scissorhands, Batman Returns, Ed Wood, Mars Attacks. That's insane. I mean... Some of wow. my favorite films. Yeah. <laughs> Sleepy it, Hollow. Most director, and that was right after yeah. that. Most directors would die to just get two of those. I mean, and he got hired for this after Pee Wee. That's the thing that blows my mind is like, he didn't even have the huge hit of Beetlejuice yet. Right. Like, they, Pee Wee. And nothing like a superhero film. I mean, come on. I just, I love the fact that Warner Brothers actually had faith in that guy. They really bought stock in him. And I mean, and released Beetlejuice. And I mean, come on. Just. And this is. The beginnings of of the superhero genre taking on a, a new darker tone. Sure, um, and sure. I think the, it was the re-release of the whole superheroes to this big screen. True. I mean, all of it. Yeah, because we'd seen those crappy Captain America and Spider Man ones like a decade earlier. Yeah, and they couldn't really get over with the Hulk. It did great on TV, but it couldn't really get to the big screen. And Tim Burton just took the baton and ran with it. I mean, he really did start it. Like, mm. but so much. I mean, the film has so many backstories. I mean, for one. Him fighting for Michael Keaton to be Batman and all the backlash associated with that. He just worked with him on Beetlejuice. I mean, he'd just seen the man. He just saw what he could do. I now, thought I could relate with Michael Keaton, you know, as a, as a Batman. It felt more like me. I mean, he had kind of well, thinning curls like I did, too. You have to time. think about Keaton in that moment, too, though. He'd only been like Mr. Mom yeah. and yeah. Night Shift. Yeah. And yeah, he was yeah. that guy. He yeah. wasn't a dramatic actor yet. So, no. I mean, I do see the hesitancy sure. to put him in this. Uh, I believed in it. Well, he did Clean and Sober right yeah. before this, which sure. I'm, he should have gotten an Academy Award for, and he was snubbed a number of times in the course of his career. He's my favorite actor. Yeah. But uh, it's funny that he, you should mention he, he was fighting for him because way back before the internet existed, there were still comic book trolls who were angry, mm-hmm. like just like we have today, like, you know, the, the, like the, like the biggest fans of something are also the biggest haters, you know, because they always have something to complain sure. about. People hated the choice of Michael Keaton. Yeah. Because he was not big. He wasn't strong. He was a, you know, comedic actor. He didn't have a Bruce Chiseled. Wayne's jaw, yeah. you know, and, and they thought it was going to be a joke uh, until they saw it. And then everybody was proven wrong and everybody loved it. The rest is history. And the rest is history. And he shows up in the flash. But it was like <laughs> you're it like launched the modern day superhero or comic book film. But there was a time between, in my opinion, 1989's Batman and 2002's Spider-Man, the Sam Raimi Spider-Man, where anything goes. And you know, we we got 
okay, you can, you can, with Batman, okay, you can take it a little bit seriously. You can bring it into kind of a, kind of a real world tone, you know, but it wasn't faithful to the comic book. It didn't have to be back then. People didn't, weren't, weren't as like sticklers about that. And then Sam Raimi's Spider-Man came around and like where some of the script was like literally pulled from pages of the comic book. And f- from there, like, you, you cannot screw with the source uh, material. Right, things the become material. canon, and you yeah. have to stick with it. Well, that's what's fascinating about the, the Marvel Universe, the, all the interconnectivity that has happened, which is getting a little played out right now. Oh. I mean, the superhero genre God, yes. as a whole is like, it's the same damn fucking story every time in a way. Yeah. <laughs> um, but nonetheless, I, I do enjoy that, that, that universe and seeing those films, but I don't know, it just seems to be... A little too much almost but this i love what the, this film has is it captures the essence of it feels like it's off the comic book pages it's not the campy you know 1960s version it has this element but it definitely feels like all the characters have just a little bit of essence of i mean comic book i mean yeah. jack nicholson is straight off the pages of a comic book everything about him it's just so over the top yeah i i you know I, they said, oh, this is going to be the first dark and serious, you know, iteration, live, live action. Oh, it's dark and serious. It's not going to be like the TV show at all. Dark and serious, dark and serious. But the more times I've seen it as a, an adult, the more I realize how silly it is and how funny it is and how over the top and fantastical. And there's bits of it that remind me of like old 1930s, you know, like, uh, Commander Cody serial shows and there's like four comic relief characters in it including Jack Nicholson it's it's a funny movie like it's it is a little bit campy and and yeah. I I think it has the the perfect uh balance of seriousness fantasy campiness that some of the other later Batman films did not sure you know, get that magic formula. I think it's right in the middle between the old and the new. Yeah. Because yeah. it has the camp of the old one, but it also has the darkness and, you know, Anton first set design and all mm-hmm. that. It's very, that's very dark. That's more like yeah. the newer ones. Agreed. So I was like, it's kind of right in the middle and it's kind of the sweet spot. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's opening the floodgates for what's to come. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> is Keaton, is Keaton your guy? Is he's he, is he, guy. he's your Batman you he's ride with? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, like if we're talking about all the actors that have played Batman over the years, I think some of them have done very well. Um, let's talk about him. Let's let's talk about. It. What do you think of Christian Bale? <sighs> he's the he's the popular. I have, I have one. very strong opinions about the Nolan trilogy. I uh-huh. think Christian Bale's a fantastic actor, uh-huh. and he is excellent as Bruce Wayne and Batman. He did with the material he was given. He did the absolute best. He made the absolute best out of it. Yeah. Uh, obviously, you know, there's the voice that he chose became a little bit of a, uh, you know, a joke over the years. Right. But other he than that. He took it from Keaton. He did take that from Keaton. Is what, yeah. what I read, that, that just doing the voice in a lower register was <laughs> yes. like a thing. Okay. There, were, there were a lot of uh, Batman firsts in the Keaton film that, that became part of canon later, which we can get to later. We're, we're, I'm digressing. Gotcha. Um, We're ranking Batman's here. It's your yeah, show. Yeah, Go yeah, ahead. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, but yeah, Christian Bale, I think, is is an excellent actor. I have a lot of issues with that trilogy. Uh-huh. I, I don't think it aged well. I think it's highly flawed. It's good. There's good things about it. And I could get into what I think is flawed about it. But um, the main the main one is the thing that made it unique was also the thing that made it implode in on itself, which was the hyper-realism. Like, sure. like this, this cannot have any comic book fantasy at, at all. It has to be what it would be like in a real world, which was cool, but also by the end, it was like, all right, dude, like, this is, this is ridiculous. And the script sucks. The, the dialogue just sucks. It's, it's like faux Shakespearean. And like, when you actually like, try to like, see the words on a page, I'm like, who wrote this garbage? <laughs> the acting is like, besides like some of, the, Nolan is not an actor's director, you know, he's like a, a visual director. So he relies on hiring good actors for the lead roles, which most of them were, you know, Gary Oldman, Christian Bale, uh, uh, Maggie Gyllenhaal was great, you know, all that. Heath Ledger, obviously, you know, no qualms there. But any side character, any co-star in that movie, terrible. Joff, King Joffrey or whatever his name is, is a little kid. Like, am I supposed to believe that that little cute little blonde haired blue eyed boy grew up in the slums? Like, awful. (laughs) 
Uh, the costume looks silly. Whatever. Anyway, I could go on. Adam West. <sighs> there's no... You the can't, originator. You can't argue. And there's nothing <laughs> wrong with that. Even like the most serious of comic book fans just still have a great appreciation for, for what him. that was. Yeah. And yeah, I mean... I, I'll get a curveball for you. Will Arnett. Lego Batman. Oh, dude. <laughs> Fantastic. I mean, he's my third favorite. He's great. He's yeah. my third favorite. Right there movie. with Keaton and Vale. He I, does I the voice him. epically. Yeah. Uh, uh, ben Affleck. Nope. 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 <laughs> nope. Absolutely. Like, I'm already, my blood, like, at the camp, my face is getting red. <laughs> Worst casting ever. A lot of fans think he's the best because he looks most like the comic book. Yeah. Uh, which, look, praise the costume designer. Don't praise. He, you know, first of all, he looks fat in that costume. He looks terrible He's in the Flash. Awful actor. I can't see Batman or Bruce Wayne at all. All I see is Ben Affleck's stupid, punchable <laughs> face. I did like the idea of the voice box, though. That was that was yeah. a unique thing. But uh, those movies, in my opinion, are unwatchable. Yeah. They're just you know, there's no plot, there's no character development, there's there's nothing there. Val Kilmer, excellent. Yeah, underrated. Val Kilmer, the best Bruce Wayne. I think he's underrated. Underrated. I I have come around to really appreciating that that Batman Forever movie uh, in 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 the recent years. I th I think it's actually the most comic booky of all of them. And if he if he took that role and and just rolled with it, yeah, I would have been excited to see what he could yeah. have done with it too. Yeah, George Clooney. You know, good actor, great actor, uh, didn't have great source material. Yeah. He probably could have done fine with, with a better yeah. script. Something a little better. Yeah. There was just too much going on in that one. Yeah. And now we're going to get my rant on the next Batman. Okay. Because <laughs> I think Giovanni Francesco in the triple X rated Justice League Batman. Oh, dang. Is better <laughs> than Robert Pattinson in the Batman. <laughs> I think Robert Pattinson is atrocious in that movie. Oh, wow. I, I think him and Zoe Kravitz have absolutely no chemistry. When they're kissing each other, I'm seeing Michael Jackson and Lisa Marie Presley kissing each other. <laughs> Remember how fake and fraud that was? That's what I see with Zoe Kravitz and Robert Pattinson. I thought he was by far the worst Batman I'd ever seen. Your thoughts. I respectfully disagree. Um, a lot of people like him. I agree. Yeah, I understand. My brother and I, who are both Batman fanatics, have this. He's He sides with you. He thinks it was terrible. But again, I, I thought it was a fresh spin on it. The, the movie as a whole, again, it has more fantasy than the Nolan trilogy has. Mm -hmm. Goth, he, uh, Matt Reeves understood that Gotham City is a character mm -hmm. and needs to be a little bit larger than life. But Pattinson... I think he's the most believable as a young Batman who doesn't really know what he's doing yet. He gets hurt. He screws up. You know, he doesn't, his costume's bulky. He can't move in it. That whole idea of it is fantastic. The fact that we see more Batman than we see Bruce Wayne in that movie really drives home the point that Bruce Wayne is dead, that he is a, only himself in the costume. Uh, I think he's the first guy since Keaton who tried to do something different with the character, with the voice and not just uh, an homage to Keaton. Um, I'm a big fan. It was too long for me. Also three hours. I'm like, come on, yeah. man. Yeah. But that's, I mean, we've been complaining about that the whole yeah. show here. We're, yeah. we're sick of the three hour movies. Enough of that. Have an intermission, please. Please. Yeah. At least that. I mean, they're just out of control. But Keaton did the most with the least. So anyway. Yeah. Yeah. He kind of set the tone. He set the tone. There's, there's not much of a script there. He's not in that many scenes, but you know, again, with just movements of his face, with just his body language, uh, he and Burton deciding that Bruce Wayne's going to be more of a recluse in this than and have that phony public persona. It he says he does he he does a lot with very little. It's not a lot of action. He's not a lot of fighting. But yeah, it's just his presence. And what did you think of him popping back up in the Flash this past year? Uh, I saw it in the theater. Yeah, the day it came out, I came because of him. I solely came, because, I went of because of him. Yeah. You know, it was. An enjoyable popcorn movie for one's for one watch. <laughs> uh, I wouldn't watch it. Uh, I watched it again when it came out on HBO, but I, I went straight to the scene where Keaton 
like his first scene and I watched it to his last scene and I didn't see the rest of the movie. Uh, it was fun. It was fun to see him come back and, you know, do it was very it was very like like uh, like fan serving, you know, mm. like uh, all the di- like, oh, you want to get nuts? Let's get nuts. And, you know, how much do you weigh? Like all the class. Oh, he said the line. He said the line. But, you know, uh, I'll tell you, uh, it's talking about doing a lot with a little. There's one little little snippet in that movie that made his whole performance and that made it worth watching it when, when he's uh, he's like looking in the mirror after his first, you know, return into the suit. And he just kind of gives himself a smile. Like you're, you're I still got it. You're, yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm I, you're back. You know, <laughs> I'm Batman. Uh, I'll stop talking. I'll let you guys do some talking. It's your podcast. I have three pages. That's why of notes. we have you here. <laughs> um, so we've done our Batman. So now it's only, you know, we got to do the other side. We got to do the dark side. We got to yeah. rank our jokers. So Nicholson here. Nicholson kind of, this was the standard for a long time. Like after Nicholson's performance in this, I mean, he didn't get an Oscar nomination for it, but he did get a Golden Globe and BAFTA noms. And he was just the standard. I mean, it's just like when people talked about the Joker, they talked about Jack Nicholson in that movie. True. Not that Cesar Romero was bad. A lot of people who grew up with the old show loved him, and I thought he was great on the old show. Yeah. But Nicholson was just the standard until Heath Ledger comes along. And then it's, well, Mark Hamill's in there too because he's doing yeah. the animated vocal one. Yeah. He's making a name for himself too. But I think when that Heath Ledger one comes along, it's just award season at that point. He wins. Joaquin Phoenix wins a decade later playing Joker. I mean, this is a Academy Award bait part at this point sure. if you get Joker roles. So, but the Jack it's so different from th- those two to Jack. I mean, Jack, it's there's that kind of he's closer to Caesar Romero comedic kind of vibe happening where yeah. those guys were. It's a much more serious take. On what the I think Joker. that was fun for us too, seeing Nicholson in that role because he had always been the you know straight guy and well you know he dabbled in comedy a little bit here and there, but. He never like liked that. this. Like, that's just crazy. I over think the that's top. what was so fun for us was seeing Nicholson let his hair down. Yeah. He had special rules on set so he could, like, show up later. Show up later and somehow time it with, because they shot it in Pinewood Studios in the UK, but still arranging to be. Because he partied here every for night. Lakers games and shit. Yeah, well, he had late dinners. He partied every night. Uh, and then, you know, it's. He's partying until 3 a.m. He's not getting up at set for 6 or 7 in the morning. That ain't happening. He's Jack. That's Jack. I, I think he was reluctant to do it, which is why he set all those rules sure. in place. But when you watch his performance, there's no reluctance. I mean, it's Jack Nicholson. Like, there's... I, I bet when the producers were like, okay, so how are we going to make this movie? What bad guy are we going to... Oh, how about Joker? Who's going to... Jack Nicholson, right? Yeah, of course, right? Okay, next. Like, there's obvious choice. And, and yeah, like you, you, you go, you know, Mark Hamill's a gold standard. Speaking of which, Kevin Conroy, RIP, Batman gold standard. We didn't mention Kevin Conroy, you know, pour one out. Um, you know, Heath Ledger goes without saying, did something completely new with the character. Joaquin Phoenix, something new with the character. You have to go on YouTube and watch the five minute deleted scene uh, from The Batman with Pattinson and Barry Kogan. Kogan, Keegan, 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 Keegan as the Joker, which I don't know, might be my new favorite. Uh, but Nicholson, nothing, nothing beats the the way the visual that the I mean, the as costume. a serious actor, it is surprising he would play this role in a way to me. Like you know, it just it, it's kind of well. There was some hesitancy. He yeah. didn't say yes right out of the gate, and then they started flirting. Apparently, the story goes with Robin Williams. Who fuck? I mean, yeah. come on. There's nothing that guy couldn't do. So. I think when they heard Robin Williams, that's when Jack was like, Could okay. you imagine Keaton and Robin Williams oh, together? Insane. But then Jickles, Jack Nicholson hears that it's going on, and he's like, okay, I'm back in. And then the, 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 yeah. the most genius deal in the history of Hollywood, in my opinion, because it's what Johnny Depp did with Pirates of the Caribbean years later. Nicholson says, I will forego my salary. You give me points on what this movie makes yeah. and the merchandising. He makes $60 million dollars yeah. in 1989, which is... Adjusted is like double that in today's price. That's it's. I still think it's the most genius thing I've deal I've ever heard in Hollywood as far as an actor betting on himself. That's crazy. I think once they started rolling tape too, he realized that it was a good a good thing that he was part of, and you could tell if you if you watch the film and you just watch him act 
there's so much improvisation there and there's so much just characterization that he does that he he really put different layers of depth into it rather than just a silly hoo hoo ha 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 yeah. kind of well, he had iconic lines. Where oh, did yeah. he get those wonderful toys? Oh, yeah. I'm glad you're dead. Yeah, yeah I mean, <laughs> I'm glad you're dead. He walks, uh, come on, I, that had to have been improvised. My favorite is what this town needs is an enema. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Feels like San Diego. Oh, yeah. Needs oh, yeah. an enema. Needs an enema, that's for sure. Yeah. Kim Basinger, what do we think about Vicky Vale? Uh, I'm fine with that. Yeah, I'm fine <laughs> with that. I, I, I enjoy seeing her on screen. You know, girl next door. I think that the 1980s was a great time for uh, uh, strong heroine characters. You know, uh, Sarah Connor, Ellen Ripley. <laughs> uh, Vicki Vale is, I think, 50-50, damsel in distress, damsel in distress, strong heroine. Uh, you know, yes, it's sort of that classic, you know, male to female archetypal, you know, rescue the, the damsel, but she is a very brave photojournalist who gets herself into the line of trouble often, uh, who takes a lot of risks, uh, who stands up for herself when she needs to, even on a personal note, uh, you know, who, who stands her ground amid these two very larger-than-life good and evil characters. Um, I think she was excellent. Yeah. she's. And I think this movie really sets her off because, I mean, she's already in Hollywood. She's done nine and a half weeks. She's done, like, dumb shit, like My Stepmother's an Alien. And she just hadn't really found Blind Date with Bruce yeah, yeah. Willis. She just hadn't found her, her stride. And I think she hits this movie, and then suddenly she starts getting offered better movies. Yeah. And then eight years later, she does LA Confidential and wins the Academy Award. I mean... Mm-hmm. This, but I think this was where she started on that road to that. Like, yeah, people started I, taking her seriously. I think she deserves more credit uh, being a comedic actor in, in Blind Date. I think she <laughs> she owns that movie, definitely. I am a huge Robert Wall fan. I love him. I think he's hilarious. He was so good in this film. They, they were going to kill him off, I believe, in this film. But they kept him around uh, because he was... Uh, I would have been okay with that. You don't like Robert Wall? <laughs> no, he's, this is his moment. He's, you know, we talk about these people having their moments right in this movie when this is being filmed. He is having his moment. He just had that breakout part in Bull Durham where he's, he's the assistant coach. And, okay. You know. What's the other film he was in? Uh, Hollywood Nights? Yeah, years think, before oh, he had been New Bomb Turk in Hollywood Nights. It's a little bit like Porky's in a way, I think. But yeah. it's got like that kind of... But he has Good Morning Vietnam and Bull Durham right there before yeah. this. And that's where he kind of becomes the motor mouth yep. comedic guy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's how he lands this role. And, I mean, he's good in it. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. I mean, but about two-thirds of the way through the movie, I'm like, I could use his death. <laughs> Let's just up the ante here a little bit. Like, uh, I, I think he grounds, he that character grounds the film in, in a little bit of reality, though, sure. I think, uh, even though it's a bit of a comic relief. Yeah. Um, he's kind of, he's a little bit of a, of a goon, you know? <laughs> uh, I don't know. I never really thought, I never really thought that hard about whether or not, <laughs> yeah. you know, <laughs> It's just, it's just a part of it, you know, and I only really know him from that and like Arliss. Arliss, you know? yeah, yeah, that's the thing everybody knows. He always kind of plays that character, though. Yeah, right? He's that's the same like, guy. That's, that's it. It could have been Albert Brooks, you know, just as easily. Yeah. Uh, Billy D. Williams, Harvey Dent. Underutilized. So the story goes he had it in the contract when he agreed to play this part that if Two-Face were to come up later on down the line that he would get to play it. Now, obviously, in that meantime of the five years between those productions, Tommy Lee Jones blows up into an A-list actor and Billy G fades back more into the woodwork. And so they buy him out and they put Tommy Lee in the third film or the fourth film, whichever one it was. Yeah, third. Third one. Yeah. I have prime uh, problems with this. You got it. Let's hear it. Well, uh, first of all, I think the choice to recast Harvey Dent slash Two-Face, I think it was a little bit racist. <laughs> Honestly, I think they said, well, Two-Face is white or, you know, it, the, his face is not going to, you know, it's not going to, uh, there's not enough contract, whatever it is. Right. I think there was a little bit of racism behind the recasting of that choice. Billy D. Williams, 
I mean, he's just got so much cool. It would have been interesting to see what he could have done with that character. Tommy Lee Jones wasted it. Um, Tommy Lee Jones, like, notoriously notorious for not wanting to do that movie, for hating it, for being resentful, for being a payday. Yeah, for being annoyed by Jim Carrey. And he just, the whole time, he just spent with, like, not creating any character, just trying to out Jim Carrey, Jim Carrey. There's a glimpse in like this very first scene in the beginning in the beginning of the film what could have been like what could have been a little bit more of a more depth to the character. I mean, he's an excellent actor. He could have done so much with it, but he wasted it. And uh, I don't know what Billy D would have would have done as as a villain. But uh, if you are interested in finding out what he could have done as a villain, there's a comic book called Batman '89, which is basically a part three to the Keaton Burton universe. Which in which Billy D's Harvey Dent becomes Batman or excuse Two-Face. me, becomes Two Face. Uh, you know, Michelle Pfeiffer, Selena Kyle is is in it. Uh, there's there's a Robin character who's loosely based on uh, Marlon Wayans, who was or was it Marlon Wayans who was originally cast as Robin? OK, who, by the way, still gets royalties for the film for him. Yeah. Uh, it's a great comic book, great little graphic novel, um, has the tone of, of the Burton verse and stuff. It's anyway, they went for the shiny object with Tommy Lee just cause he was hot at that moment. Cause anybody who had followed Billy D Williams's career from lady sings the blues and playing Gail Sayers and Brian's song and, you know, uh, mahogany and Lando Calrissian, we yeah. all knew that that guy could yeah. do drama. There's no doubt about it. Yeah. So I kind of agree with you. There was a little bit of a, well, we shouldn't change the skin color of this villain. I'm like, well, they do it all the time now. Yeah. Like, yeah. But even into the 90s, we were still doing that dumb shit. Because they you know. wanted it to be a play on black-white face, two-face. That was kind of the dynamic they wanted to do with I him. I think so. And, and have him almost be both races. I, I didn't understand that. Oh, the, in, the, uh, in the animated series, which is a great series, you uh Harvey Dent's kind of racially ambiguous, mm. which I think was smart coming as a, a spinoff from the Burton films. Uh, I don't know. I just think that was interesting. But uh, And yeah. another guy we have kind of peeking in his moment, again, for a multiple time in his career, is Jack Palance. <laughs> Jack Palance is the lead mob boss, Grissom. Yeah. He, uh, he, Nicholson works for him, yeah. at least in the first part of the film. Jack is playing bad guys at this point in his career and he's great at it i mean he's just played young guns he's playing the bad guy here again he's getting ready to play tango and cash bad guy and then a year later two years after this he wins the academy award for city slickers so like palance is is in his moment too right yeah. here and he's the second or third at this point I yeah mean. He's, yeah he's already been famous for decades yeah. at this point but it's kind of fun to watch him getting frisky here again there's a lot of co- like there's a lot of like cool casting in this movie there's a lot of cool people that they cast as supporting roles. Mick Jagger's girlfriend at the yeah. time. Jerry Hall. Jerry Hall. Oh, she's Alicia. <laughs> Jerry yeah. Hall, Billy D. Williams, Jack Palance, Palance right there. It's like, there's coolness. I, I think that the cat, like the casting alone adds some uniqueness and historical value to this movie. Jack Palance, by the way, Carl Grissom, again, n- not having to pull directly from the pages of the comic book, Grissom is kind of a play on Falcone who, who was like the mob boss in the comic book didn't have to but we didn't need Falcone in this we didn't need Ace Chemicals we got Axis Chemicals you know etc sorry yeah Tracy Walters is another one of those guys awesome <laughs> so good like man yeah, just cool guy casting we love the shit out of him from Repo Man I mean we did that episode he was one of our favorite things to talk about in that episode he's He's a Buddha. He's a he's a Gandhi. He had this. Yeah. You were saying he's a friend of Jack Nicholson. Yeah, that they were. That's how he got the role yeah. in the film. Jack like brought him in. I'm like, that's so cool. All that stuff, like all that behind the scenes. You know, I just imagine those two motherfuckers hanging out, partying. <laughs> I do feel bad for him though, because when the parade goes bad and Batman chops the balloons, he pulls <laughs> oh, out the yeah. gun and shoots Bob. He's After like your this, most loyal yeah. henchman, yeah. and you just blew him away for something that Batman did. Yep. Like, Bob couldn't stop that. He didn't mm-hmm. have a plane to stop it. <laughs> just taking his anger out on him. I feel bad that he didn't get to destroy any of the paintings. He kept looking for something, and then he found one, and Joker's like, nope, I like this one. The party man yeah. scene. Yeah. yeah. 
I love when Nicholson does the one-legged stand and backhands the statue right off the pedestal. So good. It is uh, fun to rewatch. I, I want to rewatch it again. I was just so blown away by it. I mean, the one-liners that Jack has through the whole film. I mean, there's a long list. We haven't touched on just a few, but it's... it's oh. uh, I mean, whoever wrote those lines for him, which are iconic and like, like you said, you know, the kids go to school the next day and you're using all those lines and, and repeating them because well, they're you, just so good. So you were six years old when this came out. I was in yeah. high school and I can echo what you were talking about earlier. I remember everyone having the hats, sure. the shirts, yeah. like you saw that logo everywhere. You could not turn on the radio in the summer of 89 without hearing bat dance. Like it was a number one mm. single. One of Prince's biggest number one singles, which kind of blows my mind a little bit, but <laughs> it's that marketing juggernaut that goes on with all of that happening at the time. And kids were, we were hungry for a superhero film at the time. I would, I want to say Warner brothers was just going all in on this. I mean, yeah. bringing in Danny and Tim and Prince like, and Nicholson, like they were just going all in and they were going to start it and they fucking succeeded. I mean, they nailed it. They started a phenomenon. I mean, there were four films in that run. Yeah, and that Warner Brothers franchise. Uh, now, Burton, I, Burton got the first two, and then it was... Uh, Joel Schumacher. <laughs> yeah. Joel Schumacher. Well, again, I, you know, I've, I've come around to Batman forever. Think, you know, I, I really think, even though there are some major flaws, it's a pretty excellent film. And, yeah. you know, Batman and Robin was just... Even Schumacher admitted, like... It was rushed. They wanted us to sell toys. They didn't give us time. It, we just rushed through the whole thing. There were some good moments in it. Could have been good. But Forever, I think, he said, this is a comic book. We're going to make a comic book come to life. I said, okay. Yeah, okay. So it's colorful. The, the costumes are outlandish. It's a comic book. Okay. Yeah, great. But there was depth. There was tone. There was a lot of like, why does Bruce Wayne do Batman? Why, you know, a lot of, uh, like inward searching even Jim Carrey's Riddler had some moments of like torment it's a good thing that it, you know the the producers of of the you know 89 Batman film it took them like seven years to put together which is a good thing because in the early 80s at the height of Saturday Night Live Bill Murray and Eddie Murphy were originally thought to be you know Batman and Robin which would have been probably <laughs> great but it would have been a you know a silly comedy uh, and I'm glad it took them a long time to, you know, go through a number of scripts and directors and this, that, the other to, to, to get what we got. Yeah. You got some notes there. What do you, oh, yeah, yeah. No, let's, I got let's, some fun stuff let's here. Let's talk about some stuff. Uh, I'll t uh, something, uh, I think something else, uh, another, uh, interesting, uh, casting, uh, Michelle Pfeiffer was dating Michael Keaton at the time. Yep. Uh, she wanted to play Vicky Vale he said no uh or like she asked she asked him to hook her up with a audition he said oh it'd be too weird you know to be in the same movie and dating at the same time they broke up because of that <laughs> then Michael Keaton started dating I don't know her real name one of the two models Amanda Walker uh, uh something Keeler and Amanda Walker the two supermodels who are found dead with the Smilex oh yeah one of those was his his next girlfriend. Next girlfriend. And then, in my humble opinion, the sexual tension between those two three years later just made Batman Returns excellent. You know, it made th those two together with whatever they had going on in the past and whatever they had to deal with filming together. So they were already broken up by the time Batman Returns came out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And forced to work together then. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. Well, they weren't dating anymore. <laughs> yeah. See what else we got here. <laughs> oh, Danny Elfman, Danny Elfman. Da, 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 blah, blah. What do you guys want to talk Danny about? Danny Elfman versus Prince. Which soundtrack do you prefer? Oh, dude. Uh, I've probably listened to the Danny Elfman way more. I think the Prince album is uh, underrated. Uh, I feel like it's one of its most hated albums, and I don't know why. There's, there's nine songs on it. Five of them are excellent. Four of them are n not good at all. Yeah. Um, Those are the four that are in the movie. No, the, the five that are in the movie are great. Uh, the future, electric chair. Out of, it brought me into reality. I'm hearing Prince. I don't know. It just took me out of the world of, of Gotham City when I'm hearing Prince. Prince, to, to me, does not exist there. So that's just, I don't know. It was, just, it was, weird. It was yes. weird. I don't know what that is. It just took me out of 
the Danny Elfman thing. It was kind of all of a sudden something else is going on. I mean, I, don't get me wrong. I love Prince. I'm from Minneapolis, St. Paul. I mean, I, I've been to First Avenue. Yeah. I've done a podcast about Purple Rain <laughs> a, few weeks, a few weeks ago. You, yeah. you, you, you take a real life person and, 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 and put his persona in a fantasy world with fantasy made up cities. I understand that. I also think it's what made it a classic Hollywood film. The the cool guy casting, like the the small roles played by giant actors like Billy Dee Williams, Jack Palance, and having one person write all the songs for a movie. It's it's like a classic Hollywood thing to do, which I think helps make this a classic, uh, and as opposed to like various artists, you know. And I think it adds to the tone. It it adds to me. Prince's, it was his, it was I don't know. It, it adds to the grit in a weird way that I can't describe. So the the hit on this is is Bat Dance. Can you replicate the Bat Dance? Is there an actual <laughs> no. Bat Dance? No, that's you one like of the, put your arms in yeah, there and wave them like you in don't the video. care. Yeah, the Batusi. You gonna do the Batusi? <laughs> that's one of the four songs that I I don't care for. <laughs> I'm shocked it went to number one, to be honest. Yeah. But it's also something else that ran through the, you know, that time that putting it into context, Prince measured himself against Michael Jackson. He always wanted to do shit above Michael. Michael couldn't score film. Right. And he couldn't score film to save his life. Like, and Prince was showing off at that point. He'd already done Purple Rain. He'd already done Under the Charity Moon. He'd done a concert film with Sign of the Times. Like, he'd been cranking out some soundtracks by then. So Have you seen Under the Cherry Moon? Years ago. How about you? Uh, like in and out on like the soundtracks HBO better than the movie. That's for yeah. sure. But I just think that Prince is in his moment right then. And he's just showing up Michael Jackson. I mean, because, you know, in high school, that was always the argument. Who's better, Prince or Michael Jackson? We argued that all the time. Of course. And I was always in the Prince camp. Always. And this is just one more thing that I could point out, you know, to all the Michael Jackson lovers. I could say Prince could play every instrument on the stage and score films. Can Michael do that shit? No. Was there? A, are there any music videos shot by Tim Burton of Prince from this time period for this film? I don't film? know if he did any of With the all videos. the marketing and everything, I would have thought maybe there'd be... Like, There's like four videos on the Blu-ray DVD that are, you know, releases from the film that are Prince, but I don't know. It's, it's not... I don't think it's Tim Burton, no. Yeah, I don't think Burton directed the DVD or the music videos, yeah. but... It's funny. This is like a pre-Burton Burton movie in a way. Like I think it's his 1980s films was before he found his signature language. Edward Scissorhands and On is kind of where we got like Burton's language, which is why I think Batman and Batman Returns are completely different movies because it was in between where he found his his gag, you know. And and in in the 80s he wasn't beholden to any uh, style. I think it was just, you know, what made this a little bit more dirtier and grittier than his, you know, clean, fantastical, gothic uh, look of his later films. Is he involved with the new Beetlejuice? That's. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Right. Oh, yeah. In some form. No other way. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I can't remember if he's directing it. He's certainly a producer on it. He's tied up with Wednesday, though. He's that's being quite the big hit for him at the moment. So. But are you going to Beetlejuice too? I am. Oh, yeah, yeah of course. I'm <laughs> on opening weekend. I mean. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, Keaton else? speaks to me. Oh, here's something interesting for, for you. Uh, you. You'd appreciate this. You're a Star Wars guy, aren't sure. you? Sure. Okay, yeah. You know there's a, uh, a Star Wars actor in in the film. Besides Billy D. Williams? Oh, yes. Besides <laughs> Billy D. Williams. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I actually just realized this this year. I saw... The photos I saw it on online somewhere. I was like, "Wow, they are the same person." Eckhart, the crooked cop, is Porkins. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. you're yeah. right. Yeah, I forget his real name, but Porkins, Porkins, which is just <laughs> so awful. Like, what are we? What's the fat guy's name gonna be in this? <laughs> no pun intended, Porkins. Um. And of course, this film then opens up the floodgates for the um, the animated series 
that follows for for quite a few years, right? I mean that they realized the marketability and all that yeah. this was going to be a thing, and, and yeah, that's where Hamill was involved in the. Voicing I remember of when that. Mask of the Phantasm was that oh, it, yeah. right? I remember when that came out. That was yeah. kind of a big deal in the video industry. A lot of people were buying that one. Yeah, a lot of people reveal that animated se- revere that animated series as being the most faithful, you know, on screen material. And yeah, not sure. And it really is. It really is good. I mean, it's it's different. It's a little bit for kids. Uh, not that there's anything wrong with that. Uh, there was there was like a primetime version of it that had like six episodes. It was a little more adult. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's great. It is pretty funny to think, though, like Keaton's character in Beetlejuice and how over the top that guy is in, in that movie. Or he's not over the top in this film, but who is over the top is Jack Nicholson. Has got this Beetlejuice kind of quality to him, where he's just—I mean—he put it all on the table. Yeah. And is that—that's the only comedic type role we could ever say Jack has ever played in that. I mean, anything like that, right? Any kind of fantasy, any kind of probably. everything else is steeped in. Yeah. He's everything. done some comedic stuff, but yeah, that's probably the most outlandish role right. I, I could think of right off the top of my head. I'm surprised they didn't do like an homage to The Shining where he's all, you know, busting through a door and he's all, here's Joker. <laughs> would, have, would have been terrible. I know. <laughs> how, how do you feel about like the designs on like the uh, the Batmobile? And, oh, like, come on. I mean, yeah. it's the gold standard right there. Um, uh, if we're talking about Anton First, who's, yeah. you know, rest in peace, uh, he just, I don't think he gets the credit he deserves uh, I mean, fans know, but he, he made that film what it is. Uh, his production design, a, a, a few things that that were born from that film that became canon in the comics was Gotham City being this gigantic, larger-than-life, scary-looking city with, you know, things crossing building to building, you know, gothic cathedrals that reach up into the sky... Before that, Gotham City didn't look like that in any of the comic books. After that, if you look at the comic books, it all looks like a big scary place. That's thanks to Anton First. The grapple gun that Batman uses in that movie, that's the first time we ever saw that in anything. Before that, it was, you know, the Batarang uh, became canon, which is, uh, that's Derek Meddings who did all the little uh, gadgets. But I think Anton First had a hand in all that design. He had a hand in that Batmobile. Very impractical if it was a real thing. <laughs> Honestly, Pattinson's the, got the most practical Batmobile, but but just the most beautiful to look at. Like, just a gorgeous piece of art. Yeah. I would rather drive that than... <laughs> I forgot. Somebody bought it, and they actually put a Corvette engine in it to make it street legal. Some, you know, in my research, somebody bought <laughs> I'm that. I'm sure it does appearances at rod, Hot Rod shows sure. and stuff. They always do. I remember when I was a kid going to the Hot Rod show to see the original Adam uh-huh. West one. Uh, yeah. And just, I still have my yeah. die cast one yeah. with the little blade that pops out in the front of it. <laughs> yeah. You, you, you got you to gotta respect that one. That one's, you know. Well, then and the Batwing was amazing. And the fact that Bob didn't know about the Batwing is, uh, I mean, that's his oh, detriment, right? He, he died because life. he didn't know about the Batwing. It's terrible. Didn't. Why didn't somebody tell me he had one of those <laughs> Well, and, and the thing with Anton first is you see all that stuff on the surface that you're dazzled by. And then what you don't, you know, notice subliminally until you watch it a number of times is when he does like Vicki Vale's apartment yes. and like Grissom's place. Like he, he, the set design and then the way he, the, the chairs and the, the paintings that he chooses to put on the walls and stuff. It's, it's dope. I mean, it's yeah. the reason he won the Academy Award. Like, because he wasn't just dazzling you with all this other stuff. There was this low, low key stuff that was pretty, just made the look of the film too. There's, oh. there's a quote of his uh, from an interview about it saying, like, how did you come up with the design? It was a hell erupted through the pavements and built a city. And the other one was, imagine a New York City with no planning commission since its inception 200 years ago. <laughs> with, like, no city planners and just what kind of chaos would, would have come from it. Just building on top of each other over and over and over. Yeah. Uh, here, I'll give you another little piece of trivia. Uh, the uh, the interior shots of Axis Chemicals uh, was also the interior shots used in Aliens. 
Oh, nice. Yeah. Do a little, do a little movie like that stuff like that. Yeah. Some, some fact factory in England, I guess I'm guessing. Yeah. And your lady, when she was on here, brought up that the tools that were used were that's right. in, yeah. in little shop in the dentist office were also used. Yes. Yes, that's right. Used I, by the Joker or the, or the guy cutting them up or whatever. I like those nerdy little tie-ins. <laughs> Uh, I, I I think it's worth mentioning uh, a man who also doesn't get a lot of credit for what he gave to this film is a guy named Carl Newman, who was uh, Michael Keaton's not stunt double, but movement double. So Carl Newman is a was a ballet dancer who was hired to do all the uh, like distant shots of Batman anytime he would swoop down from the sky or have to like, you know, throw his cape around, like twirl his cape and, and walk the other way or jump in and out of the Batmobile. The reason all of that is so graceful and mysterious and animal-like is because there was a ballet dancer in the costume who knew how to land on his feet and bounce a little bit and give the cape just a little bit of, of flow when it needed it. An extra uh, flutter. Yeah, I follow the guy on Instagram. Actually, he's very approachable. He responds to DMs and stuff like that. But I mean, he—he he, this was, I think, his biggest claim to fame. So he really owns it. But uh, you know, looking back at all the scenes, like knowing now that the scenes that he that he did, I think he deserves credit for for uh, adding to what that specific iteration of Batman's character was. I the one question I did have, I, I remember what it was. How do you feel about the ending of this? Now, we do end up with Joker falling at the end of the Dark Knight, too. Like, But, of course, Batman saves him. But is that like a thing in the comic books where Joker falls at some point? Because that happened in two movies. So mm. I'm starting to wonder if that was part of the comic book canon. Like, I feel like falling down from the top of something is just a movie way to kill a villain. Well, especially then. Because yeah. 87, we have RoboCop. We have Ronnie Cox. Dick gets blown out by RoboCop at the end of the movie. And it's one of the worst fall scenes we've seen. Yeah. It's really bad special effects. Then the next year, we have Hans Gruber fall from the Nakatomi yep. Plaza yeah. in probably one of the better falls yes, we've ever agreed. seen. And then the very next year, we have Batman. Dude, we have Nicholson falling from the roof. Gaston and Beauty and the Beast, the Disney cartoon, falls from something. <laughs> like, it was just a popular way to kill off a character. Yeah. But just surprising. I mean, so, well, I guess it doesn't really matter because they bring back characters all the time if they want to That's somehow. the only <laughs> animated moment, I think, in the movie where I'm kind of like, uh, they, they could update that. Like, they could fix that a little bit. It looks a little cheesy. There's a scene earlier on where Batman is animated. Yes. Where you see him. That looks a little odd. It just He's on know, the roof, right? Yeah. 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 He turns just around. A, yeah. It's a moment, yeah. really. But you're there, like, oh, that's animated. There's a whole scene shot with Carl Newman, which was the original opening where he's like crouched next to a gargoyle on the top of a building. I don't think it'll ever be seen anywhere. But, but you know, I, I mean, I, I think that's a way to tie tie up a story in a bow. I don't think they cared about, oh, well, in the comic books, the Joker never dies. He's his arch enemy. Yeah, it's right. just, you know, the bad guy dies at the end, and, and sure, that's right. that. You that's know? what Americans want. They want it all wrapped in a nice little bow, right, buddy? <laughs> but but I think, you know, Heath, Heath Ledger's Joker, his final line saying, you know, I think you and I are going to be doing this for a long time, which is like, again, cheesy script, but like, we got, like, I was happy at that moment to yeah. say like, okay, cool, now we have our, our, Two arch nemeses are yeah. going to be, you know, okay. Even if we don't see him again, we know he's always going to be in his life. And we didn't know we were going to lose Heath Ledger at that moment. I'm yeah. damn sure if he had lived that he would have been in the next movie. There's just no yeah, doubt yeah. about it. He was, and he won the Academy Award. I yeah. Mean, but, you know, Batman's got a lot of villains that they all have to get to. Some of the more obscure ones that yeah. we remember Joker from the original awards, show. Though. <laughs> Joker and Riddler. But every time we start a new Batman series with new villain, I don't know why it always has to go right back to Joker, Catwoman, Penguin, and Riddler. Like, it's always <laughs> got to be those four. You want the Scarecrow right out of the gate? Well, you know, at least <laughs> at least they tried. Like, hey, Scarecrow and what is it, Raj al Ghul? Like, at least, all right, you know, but... We always got to start with those four. Like, Mantis. Let's bring Mantis I'd, back. I'd Mantis. love to see Mad Hatter. I'd love to see, you know, a, a more serious Mr. Freeze. I don't know. A more serious Mr. Freeze. <laughs> yeah, a Clayface would be cool. Killer Croc. In the old series, there's a, a feminist politician that is the bad guy. 
She just wants women's rights. Right. And somehow they wrote her as the nemesis, a bad guy to Batman. Wait, that, it's probably the worst episode that, of the old show. That's not Black Widow, is it? No, 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 no. She has no. like some random name. Karen. but yeah, yeah, they just yeah. they just show her protesting outside all the time for women's rights, and somehow she's the bad guy in the episode. It was a weird time. In it was the a 60s. weird time back then. That became of like, which star can we get to play a bad guy that will just make up for the episode? Vincent Price as Egghead. Oh, you know, that's a good pull. They did right, right there. with Devon Craig as Batgirl. I like that. Oh yes, yes, she's yes. pretty great. Yes, <laughs> yes. Eartha Kitt's my favorite. Yeah. Damn. Eartha Kitt. And then, who was the other cat when I met her at Comic-Con? Julie Newmar. Julie Newmar. Oh, oh my gosh, yeah. she's beautiful. And the movie was uh, Lee Merriweather. Oh, good times. Well, Mr. Levine, my favorite uh, Hebro, how are you? What's new? And besides, uh, like, who are you working with? We've heard about Poison Hearts Action Club. Are there some other artists you've been producing that you could tell us about, or do we have to wait for this to see the light of day? <laughs> you have to wait for it to see the light of day. Um... I just did the theme music for uh, uh, Roy Silverstein's podcast, who owns a Rarified Recording. Okay. Uh, I, I'm yet to see his podcast come out. I'm currently we sc- need a theme song, don't we? Yeah, we what got we one need? from these guys. What are you talking about? Are you dissing uh, our backstage uh, guys? Sorry. That is a perfectly I guess I fine one. I haven't listened to the podcast much. <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm more expensive anyway. Yeah. Uh, Shots fired. I'm scoring a film. I'd like to thank oh. our impeccable crew for producing and <laughs> putting this all together. apologizing right now. Jesus. You guys are doing great. Thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, You're doing great. Thank you. You look thank good you. in pink. Thank you. Oh, yeah. I wore, I wore my uh, 80s movie t-shirt. <laughs> a slice of heaven. This is a mystic pizza. In case, nice. In case you didn't. Yeah, I went to the real, not good pizza, but it was fun to go. So, big year producing. Yeah, maybe, big year producing. Maybe a, maybe a movie soundtrack? Yeah, I'm doing a, a short film right now, uh, directed by uh, Grant Ranero, who I think a lot yep. of people know. He, sure. he was in bands and stuff. and He did my uh, logo. He did the Tim Piles that's uh, right. little caricature logo. Huh. I did not know that. Cool. He's the man, yeah. Yeah, a lot of great people are in this short film. I'm in it, actually, and that's that's actually the reason why I'm doing the music for it, because we shot it like five years ago. Oh, wow. So I went to Grant a few years ago. I was like, hey, man, how come that movie uh, hasn't come out? I, uh, you know, I, get, I put all this time like being in it for you. Like, yeah. when are we going to? He's like, oh, I, I need, uh, I need, I need sound. I need Foley. I was like, all right, if I do Foley, will you put the movie out? He said, yeah. So I did the Foley. I did like all the ambient noise, sound effects, all that stuff. You know, I, d- I did a lot of stuff from sample libraries, but also like some stuff live sure. in a microphone. And I said, hey, okay, you have your soundtrack, you have your Foley, why isn't the movie out? Uh, I need music. <laughs> do, you, do you want me to do the music? Can I, do you, if I do the music, will you put the movie out? So I'm working on that now. Um, of course, he was a big part of Fanboy as well, which uh, Ben Johnson yes. wrote and directed, part of the team here at the Casbah, and that was a great uh, community of local musicians and, and artisans coming together to create cool art. Yeah, all full circle. Do you, do you want to plug any websites or anything to uh, people that don't know you? You know, if just at this point, if, if you need anything, sound, audio, music, production, mixing, You're call the man. me. You know, I'll, I'll shoot my signal out into the sky. How do you like Maybe that? Maybe a band, but... You're going to be celebrating David Bowie's life every January 8th, we'll, probably here on stage at the Casbah. At least for a few more years, yeah. Uh, I, I'm hoping by the end of this year... Or by, actually by summer, I have uh, a new band put together with a new name and new songs and all that stuff. Meantime, you can you can hear my old music on... He needs bandmates. Yeah. No, I have them. Oh. You can hear my old music on, you know... He needs fans. Spotify, Apple Music, all that stuff. Uh, I put out a bunch of singles in the last few years. I, put, I just put out a single six months ago. I like it. I like your work. Thank Big you. sound. Great songwriting, and thank you for making our scene better and helping all the local musicians and even motivating somebody like Grant Ranero to finish their film. Grant, this has been fun. This is Soundcheck Flicks, man. We're killing it. <laughs> what are we going to do next? What's, what movie am I coming on to do next? Well, what was the film you, you picked from? You were going to do something else besides Batman. You were having a tough time. Uh, Baghdad Cafe. That was going to be my choice. Okay. okay. Yeah, that'll be next. That's the ones we like is the more obscure ones that yeah. we're not as familiar with, so... We dig that. Like the three bur- burials of Mal... Melchiata Sestrada. Thank you very much. That was one we did recently, starring Tommy Lee Jones, which was shot on his ranch in Texas. Huh. Yeah. 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 
How do you like that? We had a good friend bring us that one, so. All yeah. right. Shout like out a, to Scorpion Child. Cool little movie club cool. we got going here. <laughs> yeah. All right, my, my like Batman adrenaline's starting to like. <laughs> you good now so, for a while? Yeah, you could tell Tatiana Poizard, she'll tell you like when, when like we talk about when Batman comes up in conversation, which it does almost every day in her house, like, uh, like my pulse gets on. Like, <laughs> you know. We appreciated the videos and support that you shared yeah, with us yeah, of yeah. you and your excitement to be a part of this. It means the world to us. So thank you so much. My pleasure. I think this is a great idea. So thanks for having me. Shout out to Orion and Eric, our team over there, who make this all happen. And Shout Eric, out to our social media girl, Emily Schumacher. And the San Diego airport. And our jefe, Tim Mays. El jefe, 35 years celebrating right here. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Till next time. Soundcheck Flicks, we're here for you, covering the movies that are your favorites or soon to be. So stay loose, Howley. What's a Howley? A tourist, a mainlander like you. Want to learn more? Check out the podcast. We'll be covering the 1987 film called North Shore for all the surfers out there or soon to be or wannabes. We're Soundcheck Flicks. Thank you for your support.